Disney's episode 12, Ratatouille. To Disney, a podcast for Disney fans. I am, of course, as always, your host, Christopher. And what I am doing in this episode is I am continuing with the food trend. Uh, in the last episode, I covered the searchlight horror thriller comedy, <laughs> The Menu. And I thought that I would continue with the food thing, you know, and this is another movie about food and about a chef and about being a foodie <laughs> and what that means. There are definitely some themes that I think carry over between both movies, even though I think that's probably a complete coincidence. But, uh, you know, for purposes of the podcast, I think it just makes sense to follow up my discussion on the menu with a discussion on Ratatouille. So Ratatouille is actually a Disney Pixar movie. This is the first Pixar movie that I believe I'm covering on the podcast so far. It most certainly will not be the last. Uh, but yeah, obviously, uh, you know, you have Toy Story, Finding Nemo, The Incredibles, Ratatouille, Inside Out. I could go on and on and on. You know, there are a lot of them. And there are even more shorts. <laughs> there are lots and lots of Pixar short movies. So anyway, uh, Ratatouille premiered on June 22nd, 2007, written and directed by Brad Bird and Jan Pinkava. Might be Pinkava. I'm not sure if I'm saying that right. With additional writing by Jim Capobianco. An absolutely wonderful cast, in my opinion, here. Um, you know, I really do think that a lot of the voice acting in this movie is partly what makes the movie the movie. <laughs> you know, it's just, it's really, really great, you know, voice work here. But we have Patton Oswalt as Remy, Lou Romano as Linguini, Janine Garofalo as Colette, Peter Son as Emil. Brian Dennehy as Django, Brad Garrett as Chef Gusto, Ian Holm as Chef Skinner, Peter O'Toole as Anton Ego, and Will Arnett as Horst. A very minor role, and I almost didn't even include it in this list, but it's Will Arnett, so I feel like, you know, <laughs> he's a uh, very prolific voice actor. He's done a lot of voice work and is also a comedian. He's very funny. And uh, I felt like I needed to mention Will Arnett and the fact that he has a voice role in this movie. So, And music by Michael Giacchino. Uh, he is someone that I've been familiar with for a very, very long time. Like, I think more than, no, not quite 20 years, but close to it. Uh, because as a teenager, I want to say I was like 15 I got really, really into the show Alias, which um, Michael Giacchino did the score for. Uh, and 
because I loved Alias so much, I kind of just started to follow J.J. Abrams' career at that point. And so, you know, I watched Lost and I watched Fringe and obviously I saw the Star Trek movies and uh, yeah, and he is, J.J. Abrams, that is, is somebody who, uh, you know, it's kind of similar to like Tim Burton and Danny Elfman or... Uh, Christopher Nolan and Hans Zimmer, where it just seems like directors have some sort of partnerships with music composers, where every time they direct a movie, you have the same music composer. And I just feel like J.J. Abrams and Michael Giacchino have very often had a somewhat similar thing going on, where if J.J. Abrams is attached to a project, Michael Giacchino is probably going to do the score. So Cloverfield, the Star Trek movies that J.J. Abrams did, Alias, Lost, some of Fringe, like this is all stuff that he scored, uh, favorites of mine. And he's also done a lot of work with other Disney projects, uh, Alias technically actually, because that was on ABC and was distributed by Buena Vista, which is of course Disney. So technically Alias has always been Disney. Uh, and then you also have uh, Inside Out, The Incredibles. So he also kind of seems to have somewhat of a partnership with Pixar. But anyway, uh, the the brief synopsis, brief idea of what this movie is about. Uh, a rat named Remy with enhanced senses of taste and smell forms an unusual alliance with a young kitchen worker named Linguini at a famous restaurant in Paris. And uh, I, I have a few, you know, trivia facts here for you. Most of them come from IMDb, although one of them is coming from Disney Wiki. I will, uh, you know, put both of these links in the show notes for you. But, uh, you know, if you go to the IMDb page on the Ratatouille trivia, there is a lot. Like, I think that at one point I was reading through them and at one point it said, like, show more and then the number 50 was in parentheses and that was just like show 50 more. That didn't mean that there were 50 and that was it. I might've gotten to the end of that 50 and it might've said show more 50 again. You know, I mean, there were just so many entries on this trivia page. So, and I will say that I do wish IMDB were better about deleting duplicates because sometimes some of the, the facts on the trivia list are repeats. So, but anyway, I will, of course, as always, put that link in in case you want to read them all or read more than what I picked out. But I just picked out a few that I thought were especially interesting. Uh, but pet rats were kept at the studio in the hallway for more than a year so that the animators could study the movement of their fur, noses, ears, paws, and tails. So, they weren't messing around. I just think that's really, really cool how they wanted the rat's movements and just mannerisms to be as realistic as possible. And I think that's really cool. And by that same token, to find out how to animate the scene where the head chef is wet, they actually dressed someone in a chef's suit and put him in a swimming pool to see which parts of the suit stuck to his body and which parts you could see through. So like I said not messing around. They really, really took this movie very seriously. And I get the idea that that is generally the case with Pixar, that they 
really, really, really put a lot of time and effort into their movies and that they are just very much, uh, you know, love projects, you know, that they take them seriously. And like Brave, for example, I remember reading somewhere that like, because you know how crazy and wild Meredith's hair is if you've seen Brave. Uh, Apparently the animators just like very, 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 meticulously animated each and every one of those hairs and there's like an obnoxious number of them so yeah i mean pixar doesn't mess around (laughs) so i i really wanted to point to a couple of details that a couple of facts that you know really honed in on the detail that was paid attention to in this movie so this one comes from the disney wiki Even though the old woman who shoots up her house trying to kill Remy and Emile is never identified by name in the movie, her name is confirmed to be Mabel, according to the Ratatouille video game and the book The Art of Ratatouille. So, uh, yeah, apparently that old insane woman, I'll get to that, (laughs) uh, is named Mabel, which is interesting because that makes two characters that I know of. There might be more than two, but there's two that I know of two Disney characters with the name Mabel. We have Mabel from Ratatouille and Mabel Pines from Gravity Falls. So another thing that Pixar is really well known for is putting Easter eggs in their movies. So, uh, you know, you'll just see like very quick references to other Pixar movies. You know, there's like all these little clues that indicate the possibility that all of the Pixar movies take place in the same universe and uh, yeah, it's uh, there. I mean, you can you can read whole articles about it, but um, Pixar is very well known for putting little Easter eggs in their movies. And one of the Easter eggs that they are well known for putting in almost every single one of their movies is a Pizza Planet truck from the Toy Story franchise. If you've seen Toy Story, you know all about Pizza Planet. And apparently there is a Pizza Planet delivery truck that appears in almost every single Pixar movie, including Ratatouille. It appears on the bridge over the Seine River, uh, the scene in which Skinner chases Remy. In France, where this movie is of course set, the movie broke the record for the biggest debut for an animated movie. That's insane. That's a really big deal if you stop and think about it. You know, like... All of the animated smash hits that came before this movie, you know, Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin, uh, The Little Mermaid, like movies that just exploded with popularity and were huge financial successes. And it's Ratatouille that broke all of those records in France. That's really crazy. I mean, not crazy because it is a good movie and I understand why people love it so much. Uh, so chef and TV personality, Anthony Bourdain has said that this is his favorite food centric movie. He said they got the food, the reactions to food and tiny details to food really right down to the barely noticeable pink burns on one of the character's forearms. I really thought it captured a passionate love of food in a way that very few other films have. So Anthony Bourdain is a very, very uh, renowned, world-famous chef and TV personality. I don't even follow cooking shows or chef competitions or anything like that, you know, and I still have heard of him. So, yeah, big deal. So for him to say that about this movie, that's very, very, very high praise. 
So moving into observations about this movie. So just, uh, you know, things that I thought as I was watching it. And I want to, you know, kind of uh, prelude that by by saying that this was not my first time seeing Ratatouille. I believe it was my second, possibly third, but I think it was my second. Uh, so, you know, the thoughts that I'm sharing here are thoughts that I had while I was watching the rewatch, you know, while I was watching it for this podcast. So, you know, bear in mind that it had been a very, very long time since I had seen it the first time. And so my memory of the movie was relatively fuzzy going into it. So there were things that I had forgotten. There were things that I was still surprised by. Uh, I had seen this before. But again, there are still some things that took me by surprise because I had kind of forgotten about some minute details and whatnot. In fact, there were a couple of things that I had honestly completely forgotten. Uh, for example, I think that I said in the menu episode, I might not have, but my my immediate memory is telling me that I did, uh, that I called Anton Ego a chef. I think I might have referred to him as Gusto's rival chef or something to that extent. And for some reason, that was how I remembered the movie, was that Anton Ego was a chef himself and was basically trying to put this restaurant out of business to eliminate competition. That's the way that I remembered the movie, but I think that what my brain probably did, <laughs> and you probably know what I'm about to say, I think what my brain did is, because I had honestly kind of completely forgotten about Skinner. I didn't even remember him. So I think that my brain kind of uh, combined Anton Ego and Skinner and kind of forgot that the movie does technically have two villains. And I think that my memory just blended them into one character. So I remembered Anton Ego as having been, you know, a rival chef uh, who was basically insidiously trying to put Gusto's restaurant out of business. But that is not the case. He's a critic. He's a food critic. Uh, so, yeah, that was one thing that I forgot. Another thing that I forgot or misremembered, I guess, is a better way of putting this because this was like a whole sequence that never even happens in the movie that I thought did. Maybe it's a deleted scene or something, but I don't know. But I could have sworn that there was a scene in the movie in which uh, Linguini, like after he, you know, kind of uh, calls things off with Remy, you know, they have a falling out. And I will get to all of this in the observations, but uh, they have a falling out and... Uh, he has to try to, you know, prepare something for Anton Ego completely on his own without Remy. And basically, you know, has this, this panic attack where he's trying to cook something, but is basically proving to everybody that, you know, he can't do it uh, because he's not doing it like he normally does. And that never happens. Like, there's no scene where... I mean, there's a scene where he's pressured to do something without Remy, but he doesn't really have to demonstrate that he knows how to cook. Like, we don't see that actually happen. You know, we don't see him actually trying to make a dish without Remy and having a panic attack because everyone around him can clearly see that he's not doing it like he was. That never happens. But for some reason, I could have sworn that there was a scene in which something like that happened. So all of this to say that it had been a long time since I had seen the movie, so there were some things that I misremembered and some things that I was still surprised by because I'd forgotten. 
So anyway, the movie starts with the classic Walt Disney Pictures intro. So nostalgic. And to be honest, I wasn't sure uh, if... Because I did borrow this from my local library to watch it because I don't own it. Uh, it is on Disney Plus, but long story as to why I wasn't watching it on Disney Plus. I don't need to get into that. Uh, but I borrowed the DVD from my local library, watched it on DVD. And so I wasn't sure if that more classic, more traditional Disney logo was only there because it was the DVD that came out then. And, you know, maybe Disney Plus had since updated it. But no, because uh, I did get a chance to eventually pull it up on Disney Plus. Uh, again, long story, the same classic or at least more traditional Disney logo came up. So very nostalgic. I'm really glad that they're apparently not changing that stuff. Uh, but, you know, this is also, of course, a Pixar movie. So we also get the uh, the Pixar logo come up. The TV announcer talking about Chef Gusto says that the best food in the world is in France. And I couldn't help but think, as I heard that, that I'm sure Lumiere would agree with that, right? After all, miss, this is France. <laughs> so uh, it's very memorable when a movie takes place in France, especially Paris, because, you know, it's just always depicted in this magical, beautiful way. And I'll get to that eventually. But uh, yeah, it takes place in France. And so my mind just immediately thought of that when I heard that line on the TV. We are interestingly introduced to Anton Ego before we are introduced to our main character, Remy. Uh, and that to me is like, it's always a good sign that it's going to be an interesting villain when they are introduced before the main character is. You know, I just, I, I really love that we open with, I mean, technically we open with Gusto, but the first character that we see live, because by this point, Gusto has passed away, so we're only seeing footage of him on television. Uh, Anton Ego, I believe if I remember correctly, we actually see him live, like not just on TV. But maybe I'm not right about that. I could be wrong about that. But anyway, um, he is apparently nicknamed the Grim Eater. And, you know, this definitely gives us a pretty big clue that he's going to be an opposing force in this movie, that he's going to be an antagonist, a villain. When we are then introduced to Remy, uh, we see a gun get fired through the window of a house. We see him running out of the house with uh, a very big book, and we hear a woman scream. And I had honestly, because it had been so long since I'd seen this movie, I forgot about this whole thing. And I was just like, what is going on? I don't remember this at all. Like, what is going on in that house that a gun is going off? I mean, a woman screams, you hear a gun go off in this house. What is happening here? This is a Disney movie, right? Like an actual Disney movie? <laughs> uh, you know, we we eventually find out that, you know, it's, it's Mabel, who, upon realizing that Remy is in her house and Remy's brother Emil, uh, you know, just goes on this insane shooting spree trying to kill them. But uh, we'll get to that shortly. Remy, you know, he says that he has a highly developed sense of taste and smell. And, you know, you get the sense that he is kind of an outcast. That because of his love and obsession with food, uh, obsession, I mean, yeah, he is kind of obsessed. But 
I don't know. I just don't really like that word because I think it kind of has like a negative connotation to it. And I don't think that it's being perceived as something negative. Uh, so passion, I think I like that word better. You know, he has this love and passion for food and he seems to be just about the only rat who does. And he doesn't really like the rat lifestyle. He doesn't like basically eating out of trash cans and things that are thrown on the side of the street and things like that. Like, you know, he wants to go his own way. And uh, there's a very cool scene in the movie that even kind of like visually depicts that, which I will get to. Uh, but yeah, I mean, like I said, he has a highly developed sense of taste and smell. And this is, of course, going to be very, very important to the movie's plot because it's what's going to drive everything. <laughs> uh, and he kind of is like just thinking to himself and says, combine one flavor with another and something new was created. Okay, but cheese and strawberries? Really? I mean, the mushroom, cheese, and rosemary sounds a lot more appetizing to me than that. Like, I don't know. I admittedly, I'm a little bit biased because I don't really like strawberries. Not only do I not really like strawberries, but I also am not crazy over strawberry as a flavor in general. So just the thought of the taste of cheese being mixed with the taste of strawberries, it's just not appealing to me at all. So I was like, okay, whatever, you do you, Remy, but that doesn't sound very good to me. Another reason why Remy is a bit of an outcast is that he seems to be kind of fascinated by humans and wants to get to know them a little bit better. And also, to a certain extent, seems to want to be part of our world. Does this sound like anybody? Yeah. There are definitely some parallels between this movie and The Little Mermaid, and I don't remember ever picking up on that. I mean, I'm sure it's a coincidence. It's a coming-of-age story about somebody wanting to become their own person rather than follow directly in their parents' footsteps. And that is kind of a, you know, I mean, that, that's a plot that you see a lot. So I'm not saying that Ratatouille copied The Little Mermaid or anything like that. I'm just saying that there is somewhat of a similar premise there that, as a Disney fan, I don't remember really picking up on or paying much attention to the first time that I saw Ratatouille. But I definitely picked up on it now this conflict between Remy and his father, Django. Django repeatedly emphasizing to Remy that we are rats. This is how we live, you know? And uh, he doesn't approve of Remy wanting to be a part of the human world or even interacting with humans because he sees humans as killers. He sees humans as uh, just completely disrespectful of life. And the thing is, I hate to say it, but the thing is, if you look at it from the perspective of a rat, Django is not wrong. Django is not wrong at all. He even shows proof to Remy. Like, he brings him up to, you know, uh, a sidewalk and shows him the window display of this place that has, you know, rat traps and rat corpses hanging in its window. It's very, very grim and macabre. And... Uh, you know, especially for a movie like this that's G-rated. Uh, but yeah, I mean, from Django's perspective, he's absolutely right. He has proof that humans are dangerous predators, that they're killers, and sometimes for no reason. 
You know, they just, it's a fun sport for them to kill little creatures. You know, again, he's not wrong. There are humans like that. So, yeah, but he does not approve of Remy wanting anything to do with humans. And again, there's an interesting similarity, an interesting parallel there to uh, The Little Mermaid. So one thing that I'm a little bit confused about is whether or not the rats are actually using human speech. You know, whether or not they're actually speaking English. I don't think that they are. I get the impression that they're squeaking to each other, but that is their language. So they understand each other. So basically, whenever they're talking to each other and they're speaking using English, that's not actually what they're saying. That's just the movie kind of translating it for us. There is a scene in Mabel's kitchen when she realizes that there's a rat in her kitchen. Uh, when we kind of see Remy from her perspective and he's squeaking, you know, he's kind of like shouting at his brother, Emil, and uh, the scene kind of like transitions halfway between what he's saying to Emil uh, from his perspective, from Remy's perspective. It kind of transitions about halfway through the line uh, of dialogue into Mabel's perspective, and now it's squeaking. So, yeah, because again, she sees him squeaking, she hears him squeaking, and then also, plus, you know, later in the movie, there's no indication really that Remy is able to speak to Linguini. Like, Linguini can speak to Remy, and Remy understands him, but Remy can't speak to Linguini, so it doesn't seem like he can actually speak English. For real, though, returning the discussion to Mabel like I promised, she is insane, she is certifiably insane, and I'm sorry, should not have a gun. And I'm not saying that just because she's trying to kill rats. Although, let's just go there for a second, too. Who shoots up their house trying to kill a rat? Who does that? I mean, she completely destroys her house. She demolishes it to the point at which the ceiling caves in and falls to the floor. I mean, she just completely demolishes her home, trying to kill these rats with this, I don't even know what it is, it's some powerful shotgun, because it really blasts a hole, you know, when it when it hits something. So, to make it even worse, even after the rats escape from her home, because it's basically revealed that they've been, like, living in her attic, like, Remy and his family and his friends, like that whole little rat community, has basically been living in her attic. So when the ceiling comes down, there are all the rats, you know, but they immediately evacuate. They run out of the house. They escape. But she's not satisfied with that. She still chases them down all the way down to uh, like this drainage system. And still continues to shoot at them in the water. This woman is certifiably insane and dangerous. This woman has no business having a gun. Again, I'm sorry. I have to go there. It's just, it's it's absolutely insane. Like I mentioned earlier, though, there's a really cool scene in which, you know, the whole idea of Remy breaking away from the norm and doing his own thing and following his bliss, you know, that there's a scene that 
really depicts that in a cool way because, you know, I talked about this drainage system that the rats uh, escape through and Remy gets left behind because he's trying to save, like he wants to keep the cookbook. He wants to keep Chef Gusto's Anyone Can Cook, uh, which Mabel had because she was a huge fan of Gusto. So Remy has stolen her book and kind of gets left behind because the book slows him down. And so he gets to a point where he comes to like a literal fork in the road. Well, you know, because there's like the metaphorical fork in the road where, oh, I've got to make a decision here. You know, like I have to do something. I have two options and I have to choose one of them. You know, that's kind of like a metaphorical fork in the road. But what I meant by literal fork in the road is that he goes down the pipe of the drainage system and gets to a point where the path splits into two separate pipes. And so he has to make a choice, you know, do I go down one pipe or the other, not knowing, having no clue, you know, which one is going to lead to my family. You know, I have no way of knowing which one my family went down. So I just have to choose here. I have to make a decision, you know, and this is just so clever because this represents both, you know, again, this metaphorical fork in the road in which Remy has to decide to take his own path in life and not just follow everything that his family does. You know, he has to decide that, but he has to decide that by choosing a path. <laughs> you know, it's just, it's very, very clever. I think that this is a very clever scene. I mean, in a lot of ways, like one of the themes of this movie is kind of like the common misinterpretation of Robert Frost's poem, The Road Not Taken. You know, that's a very, very well-known poem. And it's often even quoted inside of graduation cards and things like that. And the reason that that is done is that the poem is very frequently misunderstood. People misread it or they just take out parts that resonate with them, especially, which, you know, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. That's totally fine. Uh, but, you know, when you don't look at the entire poem and the context that it offers, you do, I think, misread it because the poem isn't actually about choosing your own path and being unique and not following the crowd, you know, let your freak flag fly. Like, that's not what the poem is about. Uh, you know, I'm not going to go into a whole little lecture here about that poem because I'm thinking that that's probably not what you're here for, but <laughs> I'll just say that, uh, you know, it, it's actually about, uh, kind of just convincing yourself, you know, that you took a unique path, even though in all likelihood you might not have, you know, it's just, it's one of those situations where, you know, those last couple of lines, I took the road less traveled by, and it has made all the difference. Those two lines are often taken out of context, you know, because it says right before that, I shall tell this story ages and ages hence with a sigh. I probably uh, didn't quite get that verbatim, but it was close. Um, you know, and I think that that kind of indicates that this is something that he's trying to convince himself of. He might not know whether or not it's true, but it's just going to be some uh, comfort that he's going to take by telling himself that. But another reason, like the main reason why I bring up 
the road not taken, to be honest, is that, you know, I do think that that was the intention here was for the movie to kind of pay some tribute to this poem because of that scene where he has to make a choice uh, by choosing a path, but also because if you stop and think about it, Remy actually does take the road or the pipe <laughs> less traveled by because he chooses a path hoping that that's the path that his family went down because obviously he doesn't want to lose them and it's actually really sad when he does but uh he chooses a pipe and it turns out that it was not the pipe that his family went down so he literally has taken the pipe less traveled by so <laughs> i do think it's intentional i do definitely think that the poem inspired this movie but you can tell that i love books because uh not only did i just go into a poem uh you know and, and talk about a poem far longer than i probably needed to but also in this movie i just could not help myself from feeling really bad for that book and the beating that it was taking you know because remy you know like i said seals it out of mabel's home out of her house uh, you know, runs with it out of the house. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if it took a bullet or two because of all the shooting that she was doing. Uh, it also obviously ends up in the water, so it ends up getting very wet. Uh, I was just like, this book is taking a beating for real, and I felt really bad for it. I mean, I really, really love animals, and I also really, really like Remy as a character, so. Obviously, I'm worrying for him, too. But also, you know, I mean, he's the main protagonist of the movie. The movie is barely even into its story yet. Obviously, even if it was my first time watching it, I know he's going to be fine. Remy starts seeing uh, Gusto. He starts seeing, like, visions of Gusto interacting with him. And at first, I thought that he was hallucinating due to lack of food because he apparently does go a decent amount of time, especially since, you know, I would imagine rats probably have to eat more often than humans do. Uh, but it seems like he has to go a decent amount of time without food after he goes down the wrong pipe and gets lost. Uh, and I was thinking that maybe the hunger was causing hallucinations, but I don't think so because he continues to see Chef Gusto repeatedly throughout the movie even after he gets to a point where there's no chance that he's hungry, <laughs> you know? So uh, I don't think that that's it. I think that he's just very lonely and misunderstood and, uh, you know, has really nobody that he can talk to about his passion for food. I do have to say, though, that Gusto truly seemed like an awesome dude. You know, someone who was in the profession because his heart was truly in it. Uh, I mean... This was Remy's hero, so I'm assuming that the hallucinations, if that's what they are, are accurate to who Gusto really was, or at least who he really was on TV. You know, they're accurate to his TV personality. And if that personality is also his actual personality, then yeah, he he seemed like he was a really cool dude. Gusto's hallucination, uh, <laughs> he uh, convinces Remy to go find food, but not to steal it, to be creative and make it. And during Remy's attempt to do that, he almost gets shot again, 
more gun violence in this G-rated movie. <laughs> uh, you know, because a gun goes off below him. He goes back to see what happened, and it looks like a lover's quarrel gone horribly bad or something. Uh, but then they drop the gun and start making out. I sincerely hope that this was like a scene from a really bad movie being shot or something, because if that really happened, WTF. <laughs> I mean, it didn't even look believable. You know what I mean? Like, that's why I say that I really hope it was like a scene being shot because they kind of looked like they were acting. And then there's a scene, and I alluded to this scene earlier, uh, Remy gets to the top of the building, he gets to the rooftop, and realizes that he has been underneath Paris the entire time. And this scene is so visually beautiful, and you can feel this sense of wonder and amazement, just this magical feeling right along with Remy, or at least I could. Uh, and the music in this scene is also so good. Uh, the track is called Wall Rat, and I will put this track in the show notes for you because it's really good. You should go listen to it. Um, you know, I, I I think I already said that, you know, I've been a big fan of Michael Chiacchino for a long time. His work in this movie is really, really great. Shortly after that, we are introduced to my favorite character, especially because I just found myself, especially on this rewatch, more than I remember having done in the first watch anyway, uh, really, really relating to him. We are introduced to, again, my favorite character now, Linguini. And he ruins the soup in the kitchen by putting things in it, not knowing what he's doing. And I love how Remy knows exactly how Linguini ruined it and what he needs to do to fix it. And so sets off the movie's main plot. <laughs> <laughs> this is where the main story really begins. Uh, Linguini, very shortly after, catches Remy in the act of doctoring up the soup, and it's such a funny scene. It is so priceless. The look on his face when he sees Remy like putting spices and stuff into the soup, it's just so funny. I do honestly like really love the humor in this movie. Another hilarious scene, for example, is... Uh, later on, when Remy is controlling Linguini, we'll get to that, uh, and Linguini seemingly is, like, freaking out in the kitchen, just having a complete, like, nervous breakdown, and everybody is standing around looking at him like, what is going on? What is he doing? Is he okay? And it's just so funny. The humor really, really lands there for me. In fact, I think that might be the funniest scene in the movie to me is uh, Linguini having that seemingly nervous breakdown uh, in the kitchen. And soon after that, uh, Chef Skinner, who is the chef that took over after Gusto's death, uh, one thing that I didn't mention is that it's never clearly said how Gusto died. It's only said that uh, something to the effect of uh, a scathing review by Anton Ego, just threatened to, I think, take a star away from his rating, and he just lost all hope and lost the will to live or something to that effect. So it's implied that he might have taken his own life. And 
I wouldn't be surprised if that was the intention behind it because uh, the real life chef who inspired the writers to come up with this character, Gusto, took his own life after he lost a star on his rating. So uh, I wouldn't be surprised if that's what happened. But I'm also really suspicious, though, that Skinner might have had something to do with it, that he might have killed him in some way and made it look like a suicide because he just says some very uh, shady, suggestive things throughout the movie that, to me, made it sound like he might have had something to do with his death. But yeah, he is the chef that took over after Gusto's death. And uh, he becomes aware of Remy's presence and orders Linguini to get rid of him and kill him. And this was another scene that just really made me feel something. I felt so sad when Remy was panicking inside that glass jar uh, Linguini is preparing to put it in the water, uh, you know, and again, I knew not only because I had seen this movie before, but also because he's the main protagonist of the movie. So even if it had been my first time, I mean, there's no way that I would have actually thought he was about to die. Still, just the look on his face and the way that he's panicking, you know, it's, it's very, very sad. But Linguini, you know, ends up feeling sorry for him and... Uh, lets him go, but he tries to make this arrangement, which I will get to shortly, uh, the details of that. Uh, he asks Remy, like, do we have a deal? Like, if I let you go, you know, we're a team, right? You're going to stay with me. And Remy promises that yes, yes, but the second that Linguini opens the jar, Remy is out of there. And this is another, you know, uh, another thing that just had me feeling really heartbroken, uh, because the look on Linguini's face is so heartbreaking. It truly is. Not only because he looks sad, but also because there's a part of him that, to me, looks not surprised. You know? Like, this is someone who I get the sense is very lonely because somebody important to him has abandoned him. And these are two characters who really do understand each other. They get each other. Because I think one of the reasons why Remy decides to go back is that he looks back at Linguini and sees that he's heartbroken and decides not to go, decides not to leave him. And it's so cute when Remy comes back. I mean, honestly, just these two in general throughout their entire time together in this movie are adorable <laughs> most of their time they do end up getting into uh an argument which is a really sad scene but uh most of their time in this movie together is just so much fun and enjoyable and adorable another scene that i just find really adorable between them is uh you know linguini wakes up in the morning and checks his refrigerator and thinks that remy has stolen all his eggs and got out of there. You know, he thinks that Remy basically just robbed him, you know, and, and got out of there. Uh, and he says something like, you know, stupid of me to trust a rat. But then he turns around and realizes that he spoke far too soon because, no, Remy is still there. And the reason that the eggs are not in the fridge is that Remy has them out because he's making breakfast for both himself and Linguini. And the tiny little, like, rat-sized omelet that he makes for himself is so cute. Oh, it's so adorable. I can't. 
But like I said, these two in general are just so cute. Like, I really appreciated this relationship, this friendship between these two characters much more than I remember appreciating it the first time I watched it. And the movie even kind of follows like a typical rom-com plot. Like if you stop and think about it, it really does. And it's just that they're friends. Like it's a platonic relationship rather than a romantic relationship. <laughs> uh but it still follows like a lot of the same tropes, you know, like they meet and they have things in common. They get each other. So they form this really strong connection and bond. But eventually, you know, some sort of secret comes out or some sort of betrayal and they, quote, break up and are angry with each other for a little while. But then they get back together. You know, it's it's. It's such a rom-com plot. It really is. Uh, I just think that these two are so adorable. Their friendship and love for each other is just precious. But Skinner, he thinks that Linguini made the delicious soup, even though we, of course, know that it was actually Remy. Uh, and so he starts making him cook a lot more. And he has him basically shadow Colette another really great, memorable character. Uh, the problem, though, is, like I said, it wasn't Linguini, it was Remy. So, as I was saying earlier, Linguini has this proposal. He has this arrangement that he wants to make with Remy. He can't afford to lose this job. I mean, we end up seeing his apartment and realize that, I mean, he's probably living in poverty. He doesn't even have a bed. He sleeps on a couch because the apartment is so small that he doesn't have a bedroom and really has no room for a bed. So this poor guy is living in poverty. And so he can't afford to lose this job. Uh, but he knows that he will if he can't replicate that soup. And so he makes this deal with Remy. There is a great line by Linguini. He says, you know how to cook and I know how to appear uh, human. <laughs> And I found that so funny, but also like heartbreaking in a way. Like it is kind of sad because that line gets kind of recontextualized later in the movie when Linguini makes this confession that, you know, nobody's ever expected anything of me. You know, nobody's ever seen any potential in me before, you know? So for him to say that you know how to cook and I know how to appear human, you know, it kind of recontextualizes that and makes it a little bit more sad because he's basically saying like, you know how to cook and I, well, I don't really know how to do anything. But yeah, I mean, they inadvertently realize that if Remy pulls Linguini's hair in certain directions, he can basically control him like a puppet or like a marionette doll. So they come to this arrangement. Remy will hide underneath Linguini's toque blanche, like his, his chef hat, controlling Linguini so that it will look like Linguini is doing the cooking when it's really Remy. And that is never explained further. That's that. Remy can somehow control Linguini by basically taking over his mind, by pulling at strands of his hair and using them as levers. And that's that. So, yeah, moving on. 
<laughs> uh, Skinner starts to become suspicious of Linguini, especially after he learns that Linguini, ready for the plot twist? There's a plot twist here. Uh, he might be Gusto's son, and that is later confirmed to be the case. He is Gusto's son. I kept thinking, though, like, what exactly does Skinner suspect? I mean, he can't seriously be considering that Linguini is being controlled by a rat, can he? I feel like even if you were to see a rat under Linguini's hat, your first thought wouldn't be, oh, that rat is controlling him. Like, I don't understand what he suspects. Maybe he thinks that uh, he's trying to sabotage the restaurant by keeping a rat around, which obviously would have health inspection shut you down, which is what ends up happening. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, maybe he thinks that that's what he's doing, that he's trying to sabotage the restaurant by having a rat around. But I don't think so, because it seems to me like he's making connections between his belief that Linguini's not actually doing the cooking or can't actually, you know, be the reason why the restaurant is doing so well. He's trying to make a connection between that and the fact that he believes there's a rat hanging around Linguini. So I don't know what he thinks he knows. Speaking of his rat suspicion, though, uh, his lawyer, who seems to be involved in some shady things and does some things that I'm pretty sure most lawyers don't actually do, uh, <laughs> says that he was initially confused by the results of Linguini's hair sample. Because, like I said, it is eventually confirmed that, yes, Linguini is Gusto's son. And his full name, in fact, I think is Alfredo Linguini Gusto. He encourages Skinner to get a sample of Linguini's hair so that he can compare it to Gusto's hair. But the lawyer says that he was initially confused by those results because the lab reported the hair as rodent hair. And this, of course, obviously further fuels Skinner's suspicion, but it's also kind of weird that the lawyer had just reacted to Skinner's ranting about a rat as if Skinner were insane, right? Because Skinner's trying to convince the lawyer that, you know, there's something going on with a rat, and it seems like there's either something going on with it, or he's trying to make me go mad by making me think that I'm imagining it. You know, he's just going on what seems like a kind of psychotic rant. Uh, but the lawyer does not seem to believe it, even though he is burying this lead that the hair, some of it was rodent hair. Like, it just seems kind of odd that he's not making a connection there. This guy is ranting about a rat, and there was rodent hair. <laughs> it, it just, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Um, Because, you know, why would you think that somebody's crazy when they're ranting about a lead that you have buried? So we get to a point where things seem to be going very, very well for both Remy and Linguini. Uh, Linguini has become a sensation. He's brought so much business into Gusto's. Uh, he's also dating Colette. And Remy is living his dream, right? He's making food that people love. He's eating good food. Uh, he doesn't even seem to care that he's not getting the credit for the food that he's making. He and Linguini are also now living in a beautiful, gorgeous, big apartment. 
But I always hate it when you have a scene like this in a movie and there's still, you know, a pretty decent chunk of the movie left because you know that, okay, you know, like I said, there's still a decent chunk of the movie left. So something is going to ruin this paradise. You know, there's going to be an obstacle, a conflict that's going to most likely just temporarily, you know, but something is going to ruin this. And of course, you know, I, I knew on this rewatch, I did remember that something does. But again, even if it had been my first time watching it, I feel like, you know, that would have been my thought that, uh oh, things seem great. Something's going to go wrong. <laughs> and sure enough, things go wrong. Like I mentioned earlier, Linguini and Remy have a big argument. Linguini throws Remy out of the restaurant and says something to him that really breaks Remy's heart. Uh, he says that, uh, and I'm paraphrasing here, but he says something to the effect of, you know, if I ever see you back here again, uh, I will do what restaurants normally do with rats. So basically it's a death threat. Uh, and this just completely breaks Remy's heart. And this is another scene where I really identified with Remy or at least felt what he was feeling in that scene. He's so lost and broken, unsure of how to move forward now. And I just really felt it with him. And he's also, of course, now starting to doubt things that he believes, you know, wondering if maybe his father is right about humans. This was a human that he came to love and cherish as a friend and just got a death threat from him. So he's definitely starting to have doubts. We, as I said, uh, meet Anton Ego very early in the movie, near the beginning of it, and he comes back into the movie later on as sort of a secondary villain. He is a notoriously ruthless food critic. Like I said earlier, he's even referred to as the Grim Eater. Because he hates Gusto's for some reason, and takes pride in the fact that his review ended Gusto. Uh, he is going to now end Linguini with a scathing review. But I will say, in defense of Anton Ego, and I'll get to that in more detail a little bit later on, because of course, you know, he does kind of end up being redeemed. Uh, but in defense of him, he does at least apparently tell the truth. But again, I'll get to that in a bit. As I said earlier, Linguini has to cook something for Ego without Remy because they had a falling out, so Remy's not there. And he does try to give a pep talk, but like I said, he doesn't actually try to cook like I thought he did, like I had remembered. Uh, but he does try to give a pep talk, and he just fails miserably. Uh, he says something to the effect of, they order something and we cook it, uh, unless they order something cold. You know, it's just, it's very awkward and... Yeah, uh, but he also says, and this really made me laugh, appetite is coming and he's going to have a big ego. <laughs> and he very quickly realizes that he didn't say that right and corrects himself. But it's just really funny, especially because, yeah, I mean, Anton Ego probably is named that like the writers probably did name him that because he does seem to have an ego. And I would assume that he is bringing his appetite with him as well. So, you know, even switched to that way, it's not wrong. <laughs> but fortunately, because this is a Disney movie that in a lot of ways follows a rom-com formula, 
uh, everything does work out in the end for the most part. You know, Linguini and Remy make up. They become friends again. Remy ends up making Ratatouille for Anton Ego, who loves it and writes a beautifully written, reflective, and positive review of his meal. You know, so like I said, he is at least honest because if his true goal was just to destroy Gusto's, no matter what it took, he could have just written a bad review even though he actually did love it but that's not what happens so he is kind of redeemed and we learn that he clearly is at least honest and his love of food comes from a place of love and uh you know a positive memory you know that childhood memory that we see just kind of makes him endearing you know like the way that he reacts to it is kind of childlike which you know i think is the point like the food made him feel like a child again and he just seems to turn over a new leaf after that. You know, that beautiful review that I mentioned uh, retracts or at least reframes a lot of what he said about Gusto's belief that anyone can cook. Because early in the movie, when we're first introduced to him, I don't think that I mentioned this, uh, you know, basically what we hear him say is that, you know, despite Gusto's, and I'm paraphrasing here, but, you know, despite Gusto's misguided belief that anyone can cook, I do not believe that anyone can cook. And he kind of retracts, or like I said, at least reframes that statement in this review, you know, and and adds his own insight to it. So, yeah, I mean, he kind of does get redeemed. Skinner does not. The movie kind of does have two villains, Skinner and Anton Ego. Anton Ego ends up becoming a likable, endearing character. Skinner absolutely does not. But like I said, everything works out for the most part, because the movie ends with Gusto's having to close. Long story short, the night that Remy and uh, Linguini made up and Remy decided to make the meal for Anton Ego, make the Ratatouille, uh, he had his entire little rat clan help. So a health inspector saw that, saw the kitchen just full of rats, and the place got shut down. Anton Ego, though, invests in a small business, Remy's new restaurant, La Ratatouille. So even though Gusto's closes, we still have a happy ending. And the reveal, like the camera kind of like goes up and shows us the sign of the restaurant and reveals that it's called La Ratatouille. And I just love that closing shot, you know? revealing the name of the restaurant. But one thing that is weird to me, though, is that you would think that people would still be very hesitant to go. It seems like the restaurant's getting a lot of business that, you know, it's busy in there. But first of all, you would think that people would know that, okay, these are the same owners or these are the same people that were involved in Gusto's and we know what happened there. And second of all, on top of that, I mean, they're using a rat as their mascot. You know, so I'm not going there, <laughs> you know, like you would think that that's what people would be thinking, but apparently not. It's very, very busy, even though Gusto's got closed. But yeah, that is Ratatouille. Uh, as far as my rating is concerned, I do feel like, as I think I said already, I appreciated this movie more on this watch than I remember appreciating it. 
And the movie really does make me feel a lot of things. You know, the characters are very memorable characters with very distinct, strong personalities. I really, really especially related to and identified with Linguini. He's just such a great character. So it automatically gets, like, I would say several points automatically for that alone. It's such an emotional and heartfelt movie, but I am landing pretty confidently on a solid 7 out of 10. And here's why. I actually mentioned it already. I hate that Remy's ability to control Linguini is never explained. It just is a thing. And we're just going to reveal that this is a thing and move on from it. I really would have appreciated some sort of explanation as to how this is happening. Because it is magic. That's not a real thing. You can't puppeteer somebody by, you know, using levers of their hair or using strands of their hair as levers. That's not a thing. Like, I get that, okay, talking rats and, you know, rats that cook and stuff like that is also not a thing, but there's just, there, there's a logistical difference there to me. So I just feel like that knocks it at least a couple of points down for this very convenient plot point that is never explained. So I did put out there on social media, uh, you know, the announcement that I was doing Ratatouille. I asked for people's uh, opinions of the movie, what they think of it, you know, what their favorite moments are, stuff like that. I only got one person who reached out and said something. Uh, Natalie just simply said, it's an enjoyable movie. And yeah, I would definitely agree. I would definitely watch this again. I had a lot of fun watching it on this rewatch. I know the seven seems low, but like I said, I just... I'm really annoyed probably more than I should be <laughs> about that convenient plot point that's never explained. Uh, so yeah, I would agree. Definitely very enjoyable. So if you would like to contribute feedback to the podcast, either written or audio, you're always more than welcome to send in, you know, audio recordings, uh, sharing your thoughts about a movie that I've done or a movie that I... Uh, am currently doing, or even a Disney movie that I have not covered yet, because chances are good that I probably will cover it at some point, and I will save your feedback for that episode. So really, any Disney movie that you want to talk about, feel free to send in your thoughts. And there are a number of ways that you can do that. You can email disneyshpodcast at gmail.com. That's obviously the best way to send an audio file if you're going to do it that way. Uh, or even just to type out an email, you can do that as well. You can join the Facebook group, facebook.com slash groups slash podcast. You can follow the Instagram page, which is at podcast. You can also follow my personal Instagram page, which is at the lost passenger. Also be sure to please subscribe to the podcast. If you have been enjoying what you've heard so far, wherever you're listening to it, subscribe, that way, you won't ever miss a new episode. Next up is the short movie, Your Friend the Rat. Kind of sort of a follow-up to Ratatouille. Uh, but until next time, this has been Disney reminding you that cleanliness is close to godliness. Godliness.